Christmas falls on the Lord's Day. And what's very interesting is we're not required in Scripture to celebrate Christmas. Uh, every Sunday, though, that we gather together, we're to celebrate the ultimate end of the purpose of Christmas, which is His death, burial, and resurrection. So we, we worship every week that all things have been made new. But since it is Christmas, I want to make a promise to you uh, younger folks. Uh, if you will listen to me about this first Christmas story and all the implications and the cost to those who are involved in the early Christmas story, the first Christmas story, uh, I will be brief. Now, I know some of you are like, right, sure. Uh, but I'll do my best. So let's, uh, let's go to our text. It's out of Matthew. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that we can come worship you on the Lord's Day and on Christmas Day to consider of the incarnation, what it took to reverse the curse that is so evident in this world that we live. And we thank you for those who are here today that have put their faith in Jesus, who have entered into him, that there is this great hope of a new heavens and a new earth. And that in this life, we can know the Father through the Son, by the power of your Spirit. Lord, I do pray for any who are here that have never truly entered into the Christmas story. Uh, Lord, who believe but never really truly come to faith, I pray that you would work in their lives today. And Father, for us um, who know this story, uh, Lord, who have believed this story, who have by faith 
moved into Christ, Lord, we confess to you that we believe. Uh, Lord, help our unbelief. So that we might be given to you and to others as we move from this world to the world to come. And we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Now, if you are around the age of eight or nine or ten, that was about how old I was when my mother would take me every Tuesday to First Presbyterian Church where Miss Emily Dillard would, I would say quiz, but I felt like it was a drilling at the time, on the children's shorter catechism until I memorized all 145 questions and answers. And of course, uh, none of my brothers had to do this. And uh, they didn't have to go through what I thought was uh, torture at the time. Uh, but over the years, I came to appreciate learning the children's catechism. I can tell you, children, it kept me from a lot of trouble because I had these things banging around in my head until I personally met Jesus Christ at 17. And of course, that was a whole new game. And then 20 years later, God called me to be a minister of the gospel. And so I went to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, there we had to learn the shorter catechism. So I memorized the catechism for adults. And uh, if you don't know your theology well, I would recommend memorize the shorter catechism. At least read it, and you'll be a pretty good theologian. Now, the reason I bring this up is I want to quote the very first question that many of you are, are familiar with. Uh, but it's, it's the question that sets before all of mankind the purpose statement for the human race. And it goes like this. What is the chief end of man? In other words, why are you here today? Why, why are you here this morning on this planet? Why do you have life itself? And the answer is man's chief end the reason you're here is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now for you children, here's what I learned in the children's catechism that goes along the same line, so I want you to listen. Question three, why did God make you and all things? For His own glory. Well, how can you glorify God? By loving Him and doing what He commands. And why ought you, children, glorify God? Because he made me and he takes care of me. You see, God's uh, intended us to understand that the, the very purpose of creation is so that we might know how good and gracious God is. That he, he's better than the creation itself. He's better than anything in this world. And when you kids go home and you play your toys today, I'll be thrilled for you. I really will. But, I, you know, I don't have any of those toys left. They're all gone. I have no, They ended up in some garbage can somewhere. Um, not, not the first day. But. As one writer of Scripture put it this way, he said, a day, a day, one day in the presence of God is better than a thousand anywhere else. That's our purpose. And when God made Adam and Eve, he created them 
for this purpose. And there was a real Adam and there was a real Eve. There's lots of reasons to believe this. We looked at this a year ago. But what's important to understand about Adam and Eve is that when God created them, they did not have infinite perfect knowledge. And so they were to have grown in this knowledge of the goodness of God. And so it is with us, uh, if we've come to faith in Christ, and even if you're not a Christian, uh, to taste and see that the Lord is good, but you're to grow in a knowledge of who God is. First, to maybe some non-Christian to go, are these things true? Can this be? If you're not asking the questions, then you're probably dead in your sin, to be honest with you. Christmas means nothing to you except presents. But you see, we're to grow in a knowledge to know how awesome God is. Do you think he's awesome? How faithful he is. And if you're a Christian and you, you've known how much you've sinned over the years, you're amazed that he's faithful. How kind he is. Do you know the kindness of God? Because if you don't, it's only the kindness of God that will ever lead to repentance. And how patient he is. But alas, you children know this story, don't you? Our first parents, rather than believing God and having fellowship with him and growing a knowledge of that, here evil comes into the garden, a real devil. And if, again, if you're here today, maybe you're visiting somebody and you're, you're maybe an agnostic or whatever, there is such thing as evil, and I think we'd all agree with that. Well, it's intelligent. It didn't come from rocks and trees. And so there's a real devil, and the devil comes in, and children, let me tell you what he did. He did two things that he's still doing today. Number one is he questioned uh, to them the very word of God. Has God really said? Maybe some of you struggle with that. Well, I don't know if I do what God says, that's going to cost me. Which leads to the second thing that Satan did, is he questioned to them the very character of God. The goodness of God. And again, if you don't know God by his spirit, you, you're always suspicious of his character. You always kind of wonder, well, if God is good, why, there, why is there evil in the world in the first place? Rather than going, why would God, who is good and gracious, be patient with me, who is evil? Me, who is sinful, who treats my wife harshly, who manipulates uh, my children. God is holding back. Because he knows that when you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. You'll be your own God. Now let me ask you, has anything really changed about that? How about you? Uh, you, you? You always question whether God's good or not. And so you're always doubting, but understand there's real evil, and there's evil that always is raising the doubts. There's a good kind of doubt that leads to Christ. There's a bad kind of doubt that leads you away. Now why do I tell you all this? Because I want to get to the Christmas story. Because the result of this, the world is cursed. They sin. Uh, and rather than being in paradise, we live in a world that's cursed. Now let me tell you what that means for you boys and girls. That's why you see all the sad things around you. Uh, one of our elders lost his dad. How sad. His dad knew the Lord, but still, it doesn't take away from the sadness of losing uh, Mr. Allen, uh, our dear brother, uh, uh, Alex Nunez, took him two weeks to 
get, get out of the hospital to be home from Christmas. He's a young man. He's 31 or 2. And like, Lord, why don't you heal him up? And, but, but, but he's still battling with cancer. I spoke with Brent Weatherly yesterday. He's also battling cancer, a young 45-year-old man who has four children. And then, of course, we see all the killings this week. Children, let me tell you why. That's so, because the world is cursed. And there's cursing in your life as long as you move away from God. Trust me. I'm going to ask you, how's it going for you right now? For you who are kind of denying the faith at this point. So Deuteronomy says this. Deuteronomy 20, I want you to listen to this, especially if you don't know Christ. All these curses will come on you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you're destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. They will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. And this remains true today of those who might celebrate Christmas. But they do not believe in the Christmas story. I'm just going to tell you, I, I'm a pastor. I've seen this for years and years, the effects of the curse and unbelief on people in my family, friends of mine, the neighbors that I seek to share the gospel with. Even yesterday as I was with a homeless man, who has no, no place to go for Christmas. But the Christmas story is all about the reverse of the curse. 2,000 years ago, in space and time. Children, if we're getting a little time machine and go back in a time machine and put it on the year 0 AD or whatever the scholars say and we were there in the manger, I want to tell you, you would see God in the flesh. And so that began the reverse of the curse, but every Sunday we worship the ultimate end of his life where he was born to die, and the greatest curse is death, and you're going to die. You will die. And that's the ultimate sign of the curse. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. But Christ came and he died and he was raised from the dead so that we might have life but here's what I want us to consider in the remaining moments. Is what did it cost everyone on that first Christmas morning? What did it cost them, okay, to reverse the curse? And then the last thing I want to do is give a brief application to us who profess to know Jesus Christ. For what you children need to understand is that there was no magic wand that was waved. Uh, there was no kissing of the sleeping princess. And she comes alive. That wouldn't cost a whole lot, certainly for the prince. Maybe for the princess it cost her a lot. And so here's the thing to understand. Is we ponder the reverse of the curse. God spoke and light came into the room. Just like bam. And then he spoke and the stars came into existence. Wham, just like that, according to the scripture. He speaks. But boys and girls, when God said, let there be salvation, it took thousands of years. The curse to realize what we've done. 
the time that it took for the Savior to come into this world. No magic formula, no potions found in the Harry Potter stories, but the radical sacrifice of all involved in that Christmas story, that first Christmas story to bring us certain hope. So what I want to do is just take the remaining moments and look at every character that's in there and just see kind of how it costs them. And you know, I, I work, I, I seriously, I've worked so hard to boil this thing down where I can be done in 30 minutes. But do you understand when we start talking about the cost of God, the Father, the Son, Mary, Joseph, and the angels? How, how would I even begin to, to in, in two minutes, to say what it costs the Father? But I have to, because I made a promise to the children. So let's look first at the cost of the Father in heaven that Jesus has given us. Now I want you to think about this just for a moment. Because he has a heart, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Our Father in heaven. He's so awesome that Jesus wants us to know the Father. But let me illustrate it this way. At Christmas we give gifts, don't we? But the most meaningful gifts are the ones that are a great sacrifice to the one who gave the gift. Maybe a person who's slaved over some project for the last several months because they love this person. Last minute shoppers, no sacrifice. Credit cards, no sacrifice. I, I need to get my wife a <laughs> present or birthday. I forgot. I'm gonna, it's my anniversary. I need to go buy something. Wow. That's meaningful. But the, the, the play, the, the gift of the Magi is all about, isn't it? How can we even begin to comprehend the love of the Father? To give a gift to unworthy people like us. Though verse 18 tells us that he was found with child by the Holy Spirit, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, we learn throughout the Gospels that God was his Father. Well, we see that in our text. He sends the angel. Who sends the angel? The Father sends uh, the angel. And, and so it's hard to wrap our minds around the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But before Jesus was a baby, children, and he came into the world, and we're going to look at that, forever and ever he was the eternal Son of God. Infinite love. And you see this relationship with the Father through, throughout the Gospels and throughout the New Testament. And the best way I know to even begin to describe the love between Jesus, eternal Son, and the Father, the best, the best thing I could think of is when a, a man and a woman fall in love and they get married and it's their wedding day or it's their honeymoon and they adore one another. They're focused on each other. And, but... But our love is always selfish. And you know, if you're married long enough, you realize, I, maybe I don't adore them as much as I thought I did. And they don't treat me the way I need to be treated. And so you see a selfish love. But the love of the Father and the Son, guys, I know, I know it's just like, well, how, how could I even begin to comprehend this? Well, you ought to be me trying to convey that to you. I could give you so many illustrations of this kind of love. But this is an infinite love. I, I, you know, I, I'm a... 
I can't grasp in infinity or eternity. But let me just give you one verse and I'll move on here in a moment. In John 17, listen to this. I mean, throughout the New Testament, the love of the Father and the Son. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love which you had loved me, which the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Y'all believe that? That Jesus was in the garden before he's getting ready to die and said, Father, I want them to know your love the way I've known your love from the beginning. But not only did he love him as the eternal son, but here's something that we have to grasp. And again, I, I didn't really get my hands around it even until after I went to seminary. It was a lecture on the baptism of Jesus to identify with it. But he was also a human being. You understand that? 2,000 years ago, the eternal son came into the womb of a real woman who had flesh and blood, who has descendants all the way back to Abraham, and he was born a human being. And so when Mary kissed Jesus, she was kissing the face of God Almighty. But now he has two distinct natures in one person, but he loved the son too. Now think about it, mothers. Think about the, or fathers, that, that here he is watching his son knowing that he would be misunderstood all of his life. That he would be a man of sorrows. He lived with that every day because you know what? Jesus, the son, the son of God, Jesus was praying to the father every day. Lord, give me strength. The Garden of Gethsemane. And then he watches his own son, the human being, fully God and fully man, die a horrific death on the cross. And then his son is crying out. And this is why, if this doesn't move you, you're just not a Christian. <laughs> and I want you to be. Only the Spirit can make this true to you. But he hears his own son crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he doesn't move on his behalf because the father loved us so much that his innocent son took our indifference this morning about this on the cross and was crucified. I thought about giving you some earthly examples of that, fathers who let their sons die, but you know what? They're too gruesome. But there we have it. So that's too gruesome to talk about an earthly father giving up his son for the sake of other people because he had to make this decision. But how much more? The father. So that was a cost. Can we all agree to that? If, I mean, that's what Christianity teaches. And then there's the, um, then there's the cost of baby Jesus. Now how am I going to do this in two or three minutes? The cost to this baby who, according to the carol that we sing, was born to die, the man of sorrows. We speak of this cost every Sunday morning when we do communion, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God who is crucified so that we can come and partake and stand in the very face of Almighty God. Now, we see this in the two names of Jesus. and I, I, We see the two names that are here. And we see the cost in both names. But can I say something to you about names? You know how it used to be you named somebody after your uncle because you want to be like their uncle. 
You had a namesake. Now it's like it's a cool name. I like the name. Uh, well, I better not say one. You might have it. You know, I named him after uh, Matt Dillon or uh, sorry, Matt. But I, I want to I, I get real with you here for a minute. What when people hear your name, what what what's conjured up when they hear your name? Faithful, loyal, selfish, narcissistic, truthful, honest man. Jane, Bob, they always tell the truth. They're honest. Or liar, deceiver. Everything's in a name. And of course, we hide from each other, so our name might be lifted up. But the reality is we have these insecurities because we know that we don't live up to any of those things. Baby Jesus was given the name Emmanuel. Y'all see that God with us? So he leaves heaven to come down here to be with us. To enter this hell hole. And I'm telling you what, I could not, I would not believe in God. If you don't believe in God, I can certainly understand if Jesus was not who he says he is. If you don't believe in Jesus, and you believe in what you want to believe, then it's on your head. But God comes, Emmanuel. And you know what's amazing about poor Joseph? We're talking about Joseph. Minute. He doesn't even get in the name of the child because the father does. He has God with him. But you shall also call his name Jesus for he will save you from your sins. And that's his life. He didn't come here to be on vacation and do this, that, and the other. He came in here because he loved us so that he could live the life you don't live. Right there, this little baby. So that's the cost of Jesus. But then there's the cost of Mary. And I don't think we need to say much about this, but it is interesting that Matthew really focuses on Joseph, not that he doesn't put Mary in high esteem, but you really learn about Mary and all that it meant to her and all the cost to her in the book of Luke. Now imagine you're a 15-year-old girl, 16-year-old girl. And you're betrothed to be married. And that betrothal was a year. It was like being married already. You just have not had a union together. You've not had your honeymoon, whatever you want to put. And uh, so here she is. And, and it talks about how she's righteous and Joseph righteous. And you know what that meant? It meant that they believed in the Savior. That's what it usually meant in Scripture. They believed that God would send a Savior. But now he's coming in their life, and it's a lot different than believing in him. And when he shows up. But he shows up in her life. And then when he shows up in her life, out of nowhere, her life changes. I just want to read a few verses and then we'll come to the angels and then Joseph. And then we have one simple application. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now wouldn't that be a great, great, does that mean I'm going to like win the lottery? I'm going to get the job. I'm finally going to get married. My children are going to finally behave and believe in Jesus. Well, then notice how this blessing goes. But she was uh, greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And of course, the angel cheers her up. He says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. What? 
Great news, you're going to be pregnant. I know you're supposed to be married to Joseph. And then not only that, um, she says to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And then he gets, she gets more comfort. Oh, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born will be called a holy, the Holy, the Son of God. Now, can you imagine? Oh, okay, so here's the comfort. So something like the Holy Spirit's going to come upon me. <laughs> and you can see, oh, yeah, that makes lots of sense. But then it happened for us. Now, imagine... Mary going to Joseph, which apparently she didn't really get a chance to do that. Well, first of all, said, what would that be like for you to be 16 years old and all of a sudden God comes into your life and he radically rearranges your life? You know what? Her life was never going to be the same. Imagine her going to Joseph saying, uh, hey, look. You know, she calls him up on the cell phone. Or maybe I think she probably would text him that one. But, uh, hey, I just want you to know I am pregnant, but I'm still a virgin. And if you want to know who the Father is, God. Imagine. So it cost her. She would be the mother of the child of God with all the responsibilities to raise him up under the Mosaic law. She would see her son rejected by men and watch him die a brutal death on the cross. Y'all think that cost her for the curse to be reversed for us. Verse 38 says this. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. 16 years old. Like if you're 16, 17 years old, male or female, and you're rebelling against God, God have mercy. But God comes to her and she responds. Now, Probably the reason some of you younger people are still uh, in rebellion. I don't know what else to call it other than that. Uh, it's not because you're a terrible, bad person. We're all bad, okay? Can we all agree to that? It's because you want to live your own life, just like a lot of the adults in here. Because it's too costly. And then, and then uh, two more quick ones and then a quick application. You know, the angels... You know, think about the angels. Now, I just want to be brief about this, but you might say, what cost is that for them? And maybe this is a stretch for consideration. I'm speculating a little bit, and you always get in danger. But think about the angels for a moment. I'm going to give you a verse here that, that would suggest that maybe what I'm saying is true. Do you know the angels had names? That angel didn't have a name. It just said an angel of the Lord. But if you go to, to Mary, there's an angel, and he's got a name. You know what his name is? Gabriel. And if you go to the book of Daniel, and Gabriel, and as I looked it up, Gabriel was kind of always the messenger. But then you had this guy named Michael. You ever heard of Michael the archangel? You go to the book of Daniel, and he's apparently fighting demonic forces so the messenger angel can get and get to where he needed to go and give the message. Now, what does this mean? This means that angels have names. Angels have names. And they're moral creatures because the ultimate angel that had a name was Lucifer. And he rebelled, just like we do, and he was cast out of heaven. And all the demons, uh, the angels, uh, before they were demons, that rebelled against God. And it's this cosmic battle. Don't understand it. But they are cast away. And by the way, if you don't believe in demonic forces, where does evil come from? 
Might I even suggest to some of you the reason you're lost right now is because you're deceived by demons. And and if God doesn't have mercy on you, you'll believe the lie because that's all it is. Well, here's the amazing thing. And here's what the angels deal with. And I want to read this verse. And then we'll come to Joseph. And then we'll end. Concerning the salvation... Jesus, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels Long to look. Now, to me, if you just use your noodle here a minute, if you're an angel and you had angels you knew that were fallen, they could understand if we were cursed and go, it's done, it's over, justice and curse. They could get that. But Jesus did not become an angel. And they marveled. They longed to look and see that if you're a Christian today, And throughout all of eternity, if God gives you grace to enter into the kingdom and the presence of God, they will always in heaven marvel. So there's a sense there's a cost of them, but then finally there's Joseph. And then I'm going to give you an application. Now I could relate to Joseph. Joseph, like Jonathan, gets little press. We don't know much about Joseph. But he's certainly an important figure here in Matthew. And partly because if you read the passages before, the, the section before that, he's given the lineage of Christ. And there, there Joseph is, of all the house of David. Of course, that's why it says, when it starts with this narrative, uh, and the birth of Jesus was in this manner. Because <laughs> of one in those manners. Right? So as I've meditated on this passage this week um, and what uh, it cost Joseph to reverse the curse, I've decided I really want to meet him when I go to heaven. I do. I want to go, Joseph, you're, let's sit down, let's talk for a couple thousand years. Um, And yet what's really amazing is that he's a righteous man waiting on the Savior it's not until the Savior comes that it redirects his life. But you know, the thing that's amazing is Mary and Joseph, they still needed the Savior. They're not good enough. But we certainly see the impact of him knowing God. Now imagine the shocking news. The woman that you're engaged to, betrothed to, is pregnant. Consider that God did not give him a heads up. Have you ever thought about that? It's like... Hey, by the way, Joseph, don't sweat it, but you're going to get word that your wife is pregnant. But don't worry, because this is for me. No. He lets him sit with that for a while, doesn't he? Now, I try to think about this. I I have a great relationship with my wife, and, uh, and I think I know her pretty well. But what it would be like for Joseph, who's wanting to marry Mary because she's a godly woman and she's a, she's a righteous woman, and his mind is completely bewildered and perplexed. 
Think about it. So think of the effects on him for Jesus coming into the world. And yet he's a righteous man. He doesn't want to put her away uh, publicly. And so he seeks to do it privately. And then the angel comes. And the angel assures him, listen, Mary, Mary is with child, but this is of the Lord. But then he doesn't get the name of the child because he's not the father. And imagine that. Oh, well, what else do you want me to do? So I can't name the child. No, because you're not the father. Because you see, I have a reason for him that we've already looked at. That he's Emmanuel, God with us, and he is Jesus, Savior. And then, then, then okay, I say, okay, fine. I, I mean, I'll I submit here. And then it's like, oh, by the way, when she's about nine months pregnant, you're going to put her on a donkey and you're going to take her to Bethlehem. And when you get there, there's not going to be any room in the inn, so no baby born in a hotel room with air conditioning. Why? I mean, seriously, I'm just trying to help you understand maybe some of his thought processes because he doesn't give it to you there because the focus is on Jesus. But there he is in a stable. It's cold. And his wife bears a son in, in the middle of cow manure and hay in stinking barn. And then after that, all these babies start getting killed. You're talking about the effects of the curse. Remember, Herod wanted to kill them. He didn't want to lose his reign, so he kills all the two-year-old babies in under. Angel Lord comes in. Oh, by the way, I want you to go to Egypt. What? So he goes to Egypt. Now, why did he go to Egypt? Well, partly to fulfill the scriptures when it says, out of Egypt I called my son. Well, think of the cost that he was considered a sucker. Right, so you married, you married Mary anyway, huh? You're not the father. What a loser you are. And a heretic. How's he a heretic? Well, he said, I'm not the father. <laughs> His father is God. In Jewish mind, uh, not, not to be said. But notice how he responds when Joseph woke up from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but near her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He obeyed, and that's the ultimate true humility, isn't it? Isn't it, really? Are you a humble person? Then you submit to God's will. You say, I will, I will do what you want me to do now. Now here, So now I'm done, except for the conclusion, which is simply this. And I want you to think about it, especially if you profess to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I completely understand. You live for yourself. Or I say that. I don't mean just live for yourself, but, you know, you're, you're living for your family. Okay. The God thing. But I'm, I'm addressing you who say that you believe the Christmas story. There's a difference between believing the Christmas story and entering into the Christmas story by faith. And how do you know the difference? I'm going to tell you how I know the difference, and then we'll go celebrate Christmas. Here's how you know the difference. If you kind of believe the Christmas story, it has no impact on your life. And therefore, it has no impact on those around you. In fact, I would suggest this to you. If you're not a Christian, you're probably eating people alive. You're using people. You might go, well, that's a very harsh way of looking at human beings. Well, I just think all you have to do is read the scriptures and then look around you and then ask the person that's closest to you, hey, do you think I'm... And they probably might go, yeah, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you about that. But if you're a believer and you've entered in 
Let me ask you this. Do you, do you understand that the curse is still here? And the curse is supposed to be reversed right here in Athens, Georgia. And I will tell you as a pastor living right downtown how much darkness and sorrow and pain there is. So who shall go and be light? It is those who've entered into the storm. You've been born again. You've, been, you've entered into the Christmas. You're a part of this Christmas story. But you see, the way you know that is that you are used to reverse the curse, even at cost of yourself. I think that's what it means to be a Christian. And that as you die, other people live. If you die to your wife and going, you know what, I need to love her or your husband, or your children, if you die to yourself and all that stuff, then other people will live. But if you don't, then you will be part of the curse. There is no in-between. So I ask you this morning, on this Christmas morning, wonderful day that we celebrate, that Christ has come in the world. Have you entered into the light? Do you believe the Christmas story, or are you part of the Christmas story? Praise God for his mercy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this Christmas day. We, uh, we've we've um, just kind of halfway scratched this. So, Lord, we thank you that you love us in spite of the fact that we don't get the cost. But Jesus got the cost, and he died for the fact that we don't. We thank you for that. Bless everyone here. If there are any here who do not know Jesus Christ, would you please have mercy upon them? Would you cause them to see the kindness and goodness of God and that would lead to repentance and faith in Christ? And Father, for us who do know you, we confess to you that uh, you're often frightening. Uh, but Lord, the essence of enjoying you is to submit to you and be dead to ourselves and alive unto all the wonderful things that you're doing in and through us. Bless this day in Christ's name. Amen.